Well, good morning, church. Some energy. My name is Connor Long. I am the high school and young adults pastor here at Woodland. Um, And guys, I am so, so excited to be here. I've been, I've been praying about this ever since Pastor Tim. I, we got some things going on with the lights. That's okay. We'll just go with it. Um, but ever since Pastor Tim asked me to speak, you know, one, I, I, first things first, I am ex- extremely blessed and honored that we have a senior pastor that has been here at Woodland for 25 plus years doing ministry. So I just want to give honor where honor is due. So I'm thankful for Pastor Tim. And for the opportunity that he believes in young pastors. And I think that's, that sometimes we don't see that a lot, but he believes in the next generation. He believes in young pastors. Um, and I'm able to be here for it. It's okay, guys, the lights, we're going to get through it. But as I was praying, like, God, what do you want? What, what are you have in store for the church? What do you have in store for your congregation? There was something that was very clear to me. And it was the heart. It's how God wants us to have hearts for him. And I was reminded as we were going through the book of Jonah, you know, shout out to Pastor Jay, an incredible series that we just went through. Super thankful for him. But in the book of Jonah, Jonah didn't always have a heart for the Lord. He was disobedient, ran away from him. And I was just reminded that we can be the same way as well. There's moments where we are just chasing after the Lord, unashamed, total freedom, walking in that. But then there's times where we tend to remove ourselves. We don't have a full heart posture for the Lord. Maybe we're 50-50 in, kind of the shallow end of the pool, but we don't want to dive 100% in. And so naturally, as I'm thinking about the heart, you know, my my head kind of goes a little bit scientifically, so I go where you go to find all true answers, the internet. And I stumbled upon, you know, just, I don't even know the article, but I was just reminded of my old school biology days in high school. I was not a biology fan, business guy, was not my thing, but I was reminded just of the heart, the functions of the heart. And as basic as they are, it's so life-giving. It's necessity to live. You know, the heart pumps blood via the veins just to all places gives life to our organs. It allows us to survive. We literally could not survive without our hearts. But there's also a function that I think we tend to dismiss is the heart retracts CO2, distributes it to the lungs for us to breathe out. It takes the bad things in us, the junk that we have, and it's used to release it. And I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, we like just to do the first part of the heart, be life-giving, go serve in church, go do all of these different things, but we don't like to deal with our junk. We don't like to deal with the stuff that is in our, our lives that's been there maybe for a long time, but we don't like to release it. It just festers there. And we know the heart is so powerful. We find in Proverbs 4, 23, it says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So we know that the heart is critical, right? But there's something specifically here. It says, above all else, guard your heart. 
And we can look at them and be like, yes, absolutely, I need to guard my heart. But my question, church, is what happens when you let your guard down? And the enemy has already entered into your camp. He's already entered into your heart. How do you release that? Because I think for a lot of us, it's like just tough through it. Rub some dirt on it. Just keep going. And we have this junk in our lives that we have yet to process. And with this, I'm just reminded of the person of Jesus. Because I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, we can look at Jesus as holy, set apart, almost ethereal, you know, like a great teacher. But Jesus is in the messiness. He's in the messiness of our lives. He wants to be in your messiness. The things that is going on in your life that maybe you're shameful for, he wants to be there. Jesus died on the cross for your messiness, not for you just to tough it up and keep going. And so once we understand that, and we understand that's where Jesus wants to be, it allows us to receive that, to be open for God to work in our messiness. We're going to be in in the book of John chapter 4, where Jesus experiences and interacts with a woman that's just got a whole lot of mess going on. And if you guys are familiar with this story, this is the woman at the well. How many of you guys have heard this story maybe growing up or have never? Well, if you haven't, I'm going to really explain this for you. And we start right here in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. If you guys are taking notes, if you guys have your Bibles, underline this verse, highlight this verse, all caps, he had to go through Samaria. In verse 5 it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So Jesus left this area that he was doing ministry in Judea, and he was going to Galilee. And there's an interesting thing in verse 4. I said, highlight, underline this. He didn't actually have to go through Samaria. Realistically, a, a cultural Jew, which was Jesus at that time, would have went around Samaria. Jews and Samaritans did not get along well. So Jesus and I'm sure his disciples are like, yo, do we really have to go through Samaria? Or Like we've gone this route before and we've gone around. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Makes you think why. And here's the thing. When Jesus has appointments, he keeps them. When he has an appointment in your life, he will go there, whatever the cost doesn't matter if it's ugly, doesn't matter if it's messy. When he has to go somewhere, he does it. And so he had to go through Samaria. There's something that's also interesting. As I said, we like to think of Jesus as ethereal, holy, you know, kind of up in the air. We forget that he is 100% human and 100% God. And so when we read in verse 6 that Jesus was wearied from his journey and was sitting beside the well... My man was exhausted. He just walked all this way. He didn't have Uber. He couldn't just Uber one way. He didn't have the I-75. 
Um, may, he could have maybe taken a donkey, but he walked. He walked. So he walked through Samaria. He was tired. And we see the realness of the Lord. We see that he was 100% man. And why this is so important is because when you look at your life right now, Jesus sees you. He sees the struggles you're going through, sees the pain you're going through. He sees your happiness. He sees your joy. He sees all of that because he's 100% human and 100% God. And there's also something that's super interesting too in verse 6 after this. It was about the sixth hour. And yeah, there's, there's two camps. You know, some people believe that this was talking about Roman times and that would have started at noon, so it would have been 6 p.m. But we know that there's another camp that most of the other people that wrote the New Testament were Jews and their calendar day or the time of the day started at 6 a.m. So we're just going to assume that this is 6 a.m. Six hours later would be noon. So noon in the Middle East is probably pretty hot, right? Why would this woman be there in the middle of the day? Because culturally, people would go to the well in the morning. It was cooler. They would go grab their water for their family. They would bring it home, carry on with their day. But this woman is here at noon. And I can relate to this. About a year ago, my sister and I said, hey, we got to lose some weight. This is really growing us. Any people in there would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm there too. And we decided that, hey, this year, 2023, we're going to run a half marathon. And when you run a half marathon, guys, you don't just show up to the race day and be like, all right, let's do this thing. No, it requires training. And so I started training in August. But if I'm honest with you, church, when I started, I was a little bit ashamed. You know, growing up in high school, I I thought I was a, a decent athlete. I was always in shape. I could pick up. But hey, those days are gone. Those days are way gone. I can't just pick up and, and go anymore. And I was honestly ashamed. I was ashamed at where I was at from a health perspective. And so I would actually go back to my house about 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon and start my training for my marathons then. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to wake up in the morning and see all the other runners that are just like cooking it. And I'd be like... <sighs> Like, I didn't want to do that. So I went through the excruciating pain. Guys, Florida, August, 1 p.m. What was I thinking? But my shame dictated it. I was so ashamed of where I was at on my marathon journey that I let the pain overcome it. I would rather experience shame in my life and deal with the extra pain then just run in the morning. And I think, when I look at this story, that this woman may have been there for a similar reason. Why else would you go to the well at noon? Because I guess what? She probably thought there was nobody there. But here's this guy, Jesus, that asked this woman, hey, can you give me a drink? Verse 8, it says, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is like, look, woman, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, Gentile, 
Samaritan. Everyone deserves the gift of God. But this woman came with one thing in mind. I'm coming well at noon. It may be hot. I'm hoping nobody's there. I'm checking in. I'm checking out. But church, we do this as well. We got to go into situations where we're just one-track minded and we're not open to the experience. This woman didn't want to see anyone. She comes, she sees Jesus, doesn't know who he is. Jesus wasn't walking around. We didn't have Wikipedia back then. Like she couldn't just do a quick Google search. She just saw that this was a Jew. Someone that she wouldn't have liked just from cultural differences. She was the Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans didn't go along. So she's at this well, sees someone she doesn't like, and is like, really? Drink of water? You want to talk to me? But Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And this woman is in this practical state, and we're about to see in verse 11, but she's just, she's not expecting this guy to start preaching at her. Like, I'm here to just get some water. Verse 11, it says, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Practical, right? Like, yeah, makes sense. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus is making a proclamation here that we see a lot of times throughout his whole ministry. Okay? Jesus is letting this woman know, I'm not Jacob. There is a new way of life, and that is through me. I can give you living water. And this is what Jesus would do. He says, I am the new covenant. What you used to have to do, Old Testament, follow the Ten Commandments, do animal sacrifices to get right with God. Jesus is telling this woman right here, if you keep drinking from this well, if you keep doing the old ways, you are always going to be thirsty. But through me, I will give you living water and you will never be thirsty again. And this is crucial because this is the gospel. Jesus is the new wine. He is the savior of the world to create a new covenant with us. But this woman is just trying to grasp it. She's like, living water, how are you going to get this out of the well? Like, I know Jacob, like, you know, she would know this. She's like, Jacob, he was pretty awesome. He did some cool things in the Bible. Like, are you saying you're greater than him? I just met you. So the woman says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water. Why not? So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And here we go. She wants the living water. She wants eternal life. Like this is a kind of easy conversion right here, right? She wants the living water. Jesus, give her the living water. She'll have eternal life forever. Start playing the keys in the background. Give the invitation. Maybe we'll do a hand raising. We'll get her signed up for beach baptism. Like, this is easy, right? This is easy. But Jesus chooses not to go there. He has something else in mind. Because he cares about this woman's heart. That's what he's looking for. And you kind of want to coach Jesus a little bit because it's like, dude, he's, she's good. She wants the living water. Give her the living water, eternal life, bubbling inside. Like, 
She wants it. But Jesus is like, no. And he asks her this. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Okay, weird. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. The one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And this right here, church, is why the woman was at the well at noon. There was shame. In the heat of the day, she would rather experience the pain of isolation, going to the well alone, because of the shame that she felt. And I look at this too, and I heard someone phrase this a really great way. We have soul wounds. There's wounds within us that maybe you don't see on the outside, but it's deep in our souls if we're really honest with ourselves. And this was this woman's soul wound. It was a cut, and it was deep, and she was burdened by it. And the, real, the reality is, is that we live in a fallen world. It doesn't take a rocket science to look around the world and say, hey, it's pretty messed up, right? And with that, in a room this size, some of you are carrying around shame and wounds, and it is killing you. And these wounds just affect us in so many ways, and sometimes we're not even aware of it because we don't even want to open up our own wounds. And sometimes it's our own foolishness or sin in our life, and sometimes it's a wound that someone else inflicted on us, and we're shameful about it, and we don't want anyone to see it. Because here's the thing. We all make mistakes. We all sin. It's not if you're going to sin and mess up, it's when you're going to sin and mess up. None of us are perfect. And it's not if you're going to blow it, it's when you're going to blow it. But here's the thing is about when we blow it. The enemy wants you to keep that in the dark. He doesn't want you to bring things to the light. He wants you to keep your shame. He wants you to keep your guilt. He wants you to keep your sin in the dark. Let nobody know about it. Just feel this burdensome. But here's the thing. You can't fight the enemy in the dark. You have to bring things to the light. And is it tough? Absolutely. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Is God's not surprised with your sin. I think a lot of times we're like, God, if you only knew what I've done, like, you would never forgive me. Like, he knew what he was buying with the cross. He's not looking at you and saying, man, they really messed up. 2024, like, jeez. I really, I made a mistake. He's not doing that. He knew what he was doing when he died on the cross. So he's not looking at you like, man, you really messed up. He's looking at you and saying, get out of the dark and come to the light. The way to experiencing the grace of God is actually through the wound. It's not by trying to be a better version of yourself. He wants you exactly how you are, but you just have to give it to him. And I love here how Jesus kind of refuses to accept this weak, easy belief of this woman. Like the woman's like, yeah, I want eternal life. But he goes and he touches her deepest brokenness. And yes, is it painful? And there's also, you know, we don't know a lot about this woman. We know that, hey, she's had five husbands. The one she's currently living with now isn't her husband. It could be, just throwing this out there, 
She's been widowed all those times. This is the widow maker. And we know, hey, seven's a holy number. And husband number six is like, hey, I'm not on that list to get to number seven. Like, we don't know. We don't know. It could be that maybe she's been in adultery this whole time. It's just been one husband after the next, after the next. But whatever it's been, it's clearly caused shame in her life. It's caused tons of shame. And the thing with a wound is when someone touches your wound, you either retreat from it or you punch forward and defend it. And that's the difference between a wound and a scar. A scar is pain that we've gone through, but we've healed from it. And we can look at that scar and use it as a testimony. A wound is still open and something that we are still dealing with. But we like to try and cover it up and hide. But he touches on the wound for her to experience eternal life and life to the fullest. And guess what, church? He's still working that way in 2024, and he's still working that way right now. He says, you want life bubbling up inside of you and you want to be free? Go and get your husband and bring him here. We got to deal with this. Same thing's true for us. You want to experience living water, eternal life? Go get your alcohol problem and bring it here. You want to experience eternal life? Go get your porn addiction and bring it here. You want to experience eternal life? Go and get your adultery and bring it here. You want to experience eternal life? Go and get your church hurt and bring it here. But a lot of times we just want to run and hide. But this is where he goes. He doesn't say go and be a better person. Toughen up. And the greatest tragedy that we're living in right now, church, is that we spend all of this energy trying to hide up our shame, our guilt, and our sin. And it's the very place that grace wants to break through. So we hide this and we think, man, if anyone ever found out, Connor, like, you don't, you don't know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. I, I don't. And you may be saying, hey, if, Connor, you just don't, you don't get it. But here's the thing. Jesus sees you. But we spend all this time trying to hide percentages. One percent of our lives, like, hey, God, like, I'm on fire right now. Like, I'm in the Word every day. I'm praying. I'm in the Bible study groups. Like, I'm serving. But, man, I'm going to keep this one percent here. And for some of you, it may not just be one percent. It may be 10 percent. 20%, 30%, 40%, and you're hiding this. You are literally covering up the shame and guilt in your life. But that's what Jesus paid the ultimate price for. And if we don't bring it to him, we are a slave to our sin and our shame. And he did not die on the cross for you to experience a life of shame, guilt, and captivity of your sin. And around these wounds that we have, we really do a good job of defending them, if I'm honest with ourselves. And that's what this woman does. God touches a point that's, it's tough. And so woman immediately is like, whoop, let's defend. And we see in verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Really? Jesus just read this woman's mail. 
Like there is, everything's on display right here. And she's like, I perceive that you are a prophet. Trying to kind of get intellectual with him. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. This woman is trying to juke Jesus. But you can't juke Jesus. It just is not possible. He stays in his lane. He commits to it. And she tries to kind of hide behind doctrine at this point. Like, hey, you say that we can only worship here, but I'm a Samaritan and you worship here. And what's actually right? So she's trying to hide behind what should be good, right? And guys, if we're honest, we do this with the church. We love to hide behind the church because it makes us look like we're a better person. That's not what the church is made for. It's not the strong that need a doctor, it's the sick. And I think a lot of times we want people to make it look like our life is just rainbows and butterflies. I'm serving, I'm doing great, you know, I'm in the word, I'm fine, my family life's fine, everything is fine. I think that's the greatest thing. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, I'm fine. And we love to cover that up. But why? The issue is, is we've never given Jesus the opportunity to cleanse and heal it. We've tried to do it on our own. Jesus says in verse 22, it says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I love how Jesus doesn't backpedal here. He's not like, oh, she's clearly getting defensive on this. I probably should just like coddle her and and be like, hey, like you're good. Let's just go back to that living water. Like he sticks with this. And sometimes addressing the truth hurts. But a loving father wants you to be cleansed from your pain. He doesn't want you just to sit and simmer. He wants you to be cleansed from it. You know, sometimes you need surgery rather than a Band-Aid. And I think a lot of times we are really good about slapping a Band-Aid on wounds that need surgery. But here's the thing with surgery. Is it painful? Is it the greatest thing in the world? Do you have tons of recovery afterwards? Yes. But are you typically better than when you started? Absolutely. You've been healed. And that wound now becomes a scar. And that scar is a part of your testimony. And your testimony is your opportunity to share the good news of how Jesus forgave you and took you out of that situation. And we see in verse 25, this is, you know, Jesus' kind of last, like, or this is the woman's, like, last Hail Mary, if you will. Not like Catholicism Hail Mary, like football Hail Mary right here. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I think this is just so great here. You know, the book of John is known for a lot of I am statements. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the bread of life. But he chose to tell this woman, I am the Messiah. 
right here in this intimate moment, no one's around. I'm that guy. I am the only one that can give you living water. Verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Shame has been lifted. This woman has encountered the Son of God, Jesus, cleared her heart and is now witnessing and telling everyone that she can. And I love how John left us something, and I think this is pretty crucial. In verse 20 it says, so the woman left her water jar. And we're not used to this because we don't carry water jars to the well, but these are heavy things. You don't want to be constantly making trips to the well, so you would bring this big jar and you would fill it up. And I truly believe that this is John letting us know that, hey, she came with some heavy stuff. She came with a lot of heavy weight, but she left it there. And she stepped away completely free. The freedom that she had, she couldn't help but tell people. And today may be the day where you've come to the well where you're here this morning, and maybe you came in here and you've been thinking to yourself, Connor, I can't even step through church. I don't even know why I'm here right now. Guess what? God had to go through Samaria, and he has to go to you as well. You're not here on accident. You are here on purpose. I truly believe that. But some of you are in here today because you need an appointment at the well. There's been things going on in your life Maybe it's happened to you. Like I said, church hurt, sin in your life, shame, guilt, family situation, you name it. And it could be in the past, but you've been hiding it for so long and you've been carrying this heaviness and you haven't even really been realizing that it's just affected you completely. Maybe sin. But can I just ask you to just bring it? Just bring it here. Bring it to Jesus. Leave it at the well. Deal with it even if it's painful, but experience true freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give you true freedom from your shame and guilt and what you're dealing with. You know, I love in, in verse 39, we can kind of go down a little bit if you're in your Bibles. Not that the other stuff isn't important, but hey, this is kind of the story. It says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. A Jew coming into Samaria and they're saying, please stay. It's not normal. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After this woman experienced freedom, she helped change a whole town. Didn't say she went back home and rolled in a Bible class, got some more knowledge, went to seminary, was better equipped in apologetics. 
She encountered the living God and could not help but tell people about that freedom she experienced. And many from that town believed. And the great thing is too, as we look at, at culture, because I think culture is huge when you're reading texts. This woman is a Samaritan. Samaritan June, or Jews didn't really correlate at all. So that'd be like the first thing, like, hey, I could see why Jesus wouldn't talk to her. She also was a woman, a group of people that were typically looked down in society back then. And she had a rough past, but he sought her out regardless. She said, I don't care about your past. Just bring it to the well. And you may be sitting here today in this room and saying, Connor, you don't know my past. Like, trust me, like Jesus could never get to that place with me. One, I could never trust him enough. Two, I don't even think I could be completely free. Church, let me tell you, that is the whole point of the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross so you could experience freedom. You are always going to sin. It's the reality of who we are. But when we experience freedom in Christ, we won't become sinless, but we do want to sin less. And that's freedom right there. But here's also the thing. You don't just go to the well once. You don't just go to the well once and be like, hey, I went to the well 25 years ago. I'm good. This is a daily thing. It's a renewing of your heart. It's a renewing of your soul. But God is looking for people to have hearts after the king. It doesn't say you have to be perfect. And the Bible tells us actually that we will experience persecution when following Jesus. And we will. Persecution, yes, we'll experience. God doesn't want you to experience shame and guilt. But that's a great tactic that the enemy uses. And we have to pull that to the light. I'm going to invite the, the band to come out here as we close. But if you guys would just pray, you just close your eyes and, and bow your head. And I want you to ask God for a, a bold prayer. And I believe that God responds to bold prayers. But ask the Holy Spirit, what is my soul wound? What am I hiding? Where's the shame and the guilt in my life? And I'm praying and believing that the Holy Spirit right now is in this place and He is letting you know and affirming you. It may be painful, it may be messy, and you may be resisting it saying, God, I don't want to go there. But God has made an appointment for you to be here tonight, this morning, today. He wants you here. And as I was reminded, as I was reading the word this morning, I was reminded of the Old Testament. How the Israelites, when God would show his faithfulness to them, bring them out of captivity or bringing them out of seclusion, whatever it was, they would build these altars to signify. It was a physical representation of God's faithfulness. And I think a lot of times we don't do that for ourselves. And I'm not saying grab a couple rocks and just stack them up. I am saying there is something that happens when we can physically declare God's faithfulness in our lives. The worst thing that we can do as Christians is experience God in this place and leave like it never happened. And so I'm asking you this morning, church, will you come to the well? 
as maybe embarrassing you might think it may be, as hurtful as you think it might be, will you just not care? Will you just submit to him and say, God, I am tired of this burden in my life. I know only you can remove it. And just tell someone. Tell your neighbor. Tell the people you came with. We have our staff up here that love to pray for you. We have the journey begins. We have all of these places where you can tell people. Because the enemy wins if you leave this place and you haven't been changed. He's scared when you are changed and you have a heart after the king. So I'm going to pray for us. And after I'm done praying, would you guys just stand as we worship? And if you want to come to the front, I encourage you, just come to the front. Just be honest with yourself. This is just you and God. Holy Spirit, we know that you're in this place. We know that you're moving. God, you're good. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the woman at the well. God, it was painful. It hurt. God, she experienced freedom. And because of her freedom, so many more were saved because of it. So God, I pray that this church will be a church that is bold. Bold and will say, hey, I'm confessing that. I am removing that sin in my life because I know what God has in store for me for my future. He wants me to share the good news, but I can't do that when I'm trapped with sin and shame. God, let Woodland Community Church be a church where we have hearts for the King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.